Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Meringue. Oh, hello. How are you? I am good. And uh, we also have one more guest with us today, Adam Mares, who is the... uh, what do you call? Are you the editor in chief? Are you the site manager? Are you both for the I think Denver? Probably Stats? both, but I usually say site manager. All right. Which one is a higher pay? Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, I don't always edit everything, so I I, I don't want to say editor in chief if if there's like a misspelled word on the site. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I posted there, so I guarantee you. Sure. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Adam. We're really happy that you could join us today. This uh, the beginning of this podcast is a little bit more somber than usual because Danny, you and I haven't actually talked since uh, Monday night, and the last time we were talking on air, we were so excited about all the amazing progress that Yusuf Nurkic had made, and how excited we were with the future. And since then, he suffered a uh, season ending, and probably the last well into next season ending injury. So, I guess my first question for you is like how. What were your initial reactions and thoughts when this happened? Okay, so this is a pretty, pretty much like the most hellacious swing you can take um, from the night that we had everybody over for a staff dinner talking about the most surprising, the most uplifting, the best things to look forward to. Every, literally every single one of my answers was Yusuf Nurkic, Yusuf Nurkic, Yusuf Nurkic, and just the growth that he's had uh, in particular this year to 24 hours later fighting back tears, sick to my stomach, struggling for the right words, and even still not really sure what to think um, with what is an absolutely brutally devastating injury. And it's just, it's a hell of a swing to go from talking about how well things looked for the immediate future and decently well going forward, considering the growth that he's made to not knowing what the plan for the team is now kind of going forward. Cause it's not, this isn't your regular injury where you're like, Hey, you know what? He goes back, he heals. He's good to go. You don't know how long it's going to go. You you don't know how long it's going to be until he resumes basketball activity. I mean, let alone getting back to, to walking and all those things. And then what that means for him going forward, how long does it take to build it back up, to get past the atrophy, to playing at a high level again? Because there's a vast difference between Gordon Hayward and how he's healed and how he's progressed back to basketball and Paul George, right? And then it's the whole idea of the fact that he's seven foot, 300 pounds, and he's had some injuries before. So trying to string all of these thoughts together, even over a week, I still haven't been able to like fully captivate and visualize what it means right now, what it means a week or a month or two months from now, what it means for two years from now. It's just, it's really hard to take a look at it and, and, and know what to expect or even what you want going forward because there's so many variables up in the air. Adam, I'm curious as someone who covers the nuggets, you obviously are familiar with uh, Yusuf Nurkic. And uh, I was wondering kind of what your thoughts were when you heard what had happened. You know, it was really an interesting thing. Um, I, I think I shared in any like humans thoughts when watching it, which was first, you know, it, it was awful. It was horrible. It was it was disgusting. It was all those things. But then I think any person that has a soul is immediately just like hit with 
um, empathy for for the moment and for the player. And I actually wrote a piece on Denver Stiffs because it's well known that Nurkic is probably public enemy number one in the NBA for Denver Nuggets fans for a variety of reasons. But it was one of those moments where I think everybody is sort of hit with the fact that he's public enemy number one as a player, not as a person. And and it was one of those things where um, you just felt so disgusted. You, you, any like animosity or whatever you maybe felt or you know, sports hatred that you felt for the guy immediately left because you were just like, man, this is completely unfair, especially given the year that he had, which was just I felt like this was the year he he really became, you know, his own player and came into his own. So um, it was, uh, you know, I, I felt gutted just like I think every every fan of the Blazers felt. Yeah, it was a. um you, it was it was such a blow because for for me one of the things that I loved about Nurkic so much this year is, you know his play was tremendous but he just seemed to have matured and grown up so much as a young man you know as, yeah. as someone who we've followed his story you know left home to go to boarding school when he was you know a young teenager and was separated from his family and then you know came to the United States to play and things were rough for him in Denver, finally came to Portland and finally, I think, was able to feel comfortable enough where, you know, with his future after having just signed that contract that he could maybe kind of settle down and sort of mature into who he was going to be. And, uh, you know, I, of course, as soon as I saw it was, you know, I closed my eyes for like, I don't think I opened my eyes for three minutes. I was in the arena and it was Blazers Edge night. And mm. it had been a tremendously exciting game. Um, but it was, you know, that overtime was rough and both teams were so sloppy at the end. And I was just like, oh, this is so ugly. I just wanted to end before somebody gets hurt, which, of course, you should never think out loud. And and then this happened and it was just silent. And, you know, all these kids who were already up past their bedtime were asking their parents what's going on. And it was just it was such a, a, a heart wrenching thing. But the thing that I could hang on to for him is that he, at this point in his career, had achieved a kind of security, at least, you know, with his contract situation. He was playing at right. a very high level. And the thing that I immediately latched on to is we can't forget how well he played this year. And I was so afraid that people were going to look at the season as a throwaway season because – well, now the Blazers aren't, you know, going to make it to the Western Conference Finals. And, like, I don't know how likely that was anyway. I don't know if it went just a couple – until just a couple weeks ago that we were talking that, about that seriously anyway. Um, I just – my whole thing is I just don't want people to think that this whole season of his was a waste because he had a tremendous season and he played so well and he had come so far. So, like, Dan, what do you think about the state of the season right now? I mean, we can talk about how much growth Nurk made, and it, it, it is substantial. Uh, the, he he kind of reminds me of of Wes Matthews, just kind of coming back each year with something new. It's something I've kind of hinted on with, with him and how successful he was. Like the individual accomplishments are great. I mean, there's there's a lot of them this season. Jake Lehman becoming a rotation player, Damian Lillard finding another gear, and so not not just the all NBA player with an asterisk, but he's a legitimate all NBA player. And if you don't recognize that, well, I, I can't help you. Those things are all good, you know, well and good. Um, but as far as a team success now, yeah, it's, it's great. They're probably going to win 50 games and it's going to look nice on a piece of paper. And when you look back, it's going to look very reminiscent of Wesley Matthews Achilles exploding. 
a, mm. a very a, a very mm-hmm. good team. You're right. Yeah. That looks like, hey, they they could do some damage if they get the right spot. Right. And now it's poof, it's gone. I was really high on that Portland team, by the way. Uh, they they traded you traded for Aaron Flalo. That was the Will Barton Aaron Flalo trade, and it was yes. the idea. The idea was a Flalo would come in, and if he's your backup, that's he's great. That's like you just added another weapon for a playoff run. I think you guys were on a run. And then, yeah, the, the Wes Matthews thing just was a complete uh, deflation. All the air was let out of the balloon. Yeah, I mean, that that team was playing the best basketball in the NBA when yep. they made that move. And the idea of, of playing small ball and transitioning and all that kind of stuff, you can say a lot of the same things are happening here with this Blazer team. You've added Rodney Hood. Jake Lehman's kind of come into his own. Anis Cantor is giving you the additional depth. Like you're ticking a lot of boxes. Are there holes up and down the roster? Sure. But if things go the right way, could they find themselves in the Western Conference Finals? I think that's a viable and, and at least a sane question to ask if you get some some things to go your way. I do see a, a difference to me in what happened with that team is that once that team, once you know Wesley Matthews went down, we knew that that could very well be the end. I mean, that was, we didn't have a bunch of players who had much time left on their contract. I mean, they didn't, you know, at this point, Yusuf had just signed a contract. So we know that he's coming back at that point. We didn't know what it meant for Wesley Matthews future. We didn't know what it meant for LaMarcus. We didn't know what was going to happen to the rest of the team. I feel like there's a little bit more security. Do you disagree? I do to an extent because I mean, Damon CJ's deals are, are coming up. Um, Nurk is going to lose what's uh, akin to two years on his contract this this year and and probably next year. Right, but he still has two <laughs> years left. But again, we're, we're talking about what it means to this team. If he's not, if let's let's put it this way, if he's Gordon Hayward when he comes back, what does that mean for re-upping with CJ or moving him essentially before that? You're, you're, or Damian Lillard, does he look at Nurk and go, even though it's his guy and his brother and everything, Portland's stuck on this you know, in-between gear mm-hmm. even more so now because, listen, this is going to sound heartless, but if Nurkic doesn't play an entire year, they have $12 million committed to somebody on the bench yep. That's you're not going to get a penny out of. That is an incredibly difficult task to overcome. I'm I'm with Dan on this one, and, and it's it's really really a tough and unpalatable just sort of situation. But that that's exactly right. You're a, a starter level, a, a player being paid like a starter, and one of the more impactful players is just not going to give you anything for at least um, you know one year, and then very likely it'll take another year just to get back to the form he was at. So it is tough, and and I do think it affects. It probably will affect the way that Portland constructs their roster um, in both the short term and the long term. There's too many things up. There's just too many variables because of the timelines of the contracts. It's crazy because you look at Portland, everybody's looking at this summer when all of the 2016 deals are coming off the books. And now they have something else in their laps that they, they can't control. They have one more year after this year, right? They just all become they become expiring contracts. Yes, they're, they're not all be in their books. They're going to be expiring. No, no, they're going into their next their last year. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Well, let, let's shift a little bit. And I want to pick Adam's brain um, because I, um, I'm really curious about how the Blazers are going to adapt with the um, with Nurkic being out. The Blazers have played a couple of games, but, you know, it was against 
Chicago, who was basically not even their G League team. Um, the Windy City Bulls uh, laughed at them. Atlanta uh, was – I think that was a fun contest. Um, and then Detroit was just like a really painful game to watch. So we've seen a few games of the Blazers playing without Nurkic. But, Adam, I'm curious, what do you think the options would be for a team like Blazers uh, to fill in around the loss of him, either for the remainder of this year? Let's let's focus on that first, and then if we have time, we could talk about next year. Well, I think for the remainder of this year, you know, more minutes for, for guys like Cantor, uh, more minutes for, for Zach Collins and – Maybe even Myers Leonard, not my favorite player in the NBA, but you know, you just you just try to build. The, the the thing that's difficult is all three of those guys are very different than Nurk. None of those guys play like him, so you kind of have to change stylistically, and guys are going to have to alter their game on the fly to kind of find a new identity uh, on the fly. And like I said, with as loaded as the West is, I think that's tough. But looking a little more long term, the one silver lining that I, I think Blazers fans will get out of this is, you know, Zach Collins is a good player, and I know this has been a tough. Um, you know, up and down season as is expected for a guy his age, but this this is an excellent opportunity for him now to become a player and become um, you know, a, a, an integral part of the team or a, a high value, you know, I hate to call people assets, but uh, but somebody that you know could maybe bring somebody back in a trade when Nurkic comes back. So Denver saw this a lot, albeit on a much smaller scale. But last year, you know, Paul Millsap missed half the season. Guys stepped in and, and established a role. This year, Gary Harris, um, Will Barton missed large chunks of the season, and Malik Beasley, Monte Morris broke out. So every time somebody goes down, it's an opportunity for another player to get uh, to get better. And I think that'll happen with with Zach Collins. I think the next basically twelve months um, is going to be a huge growth opportunity for him. Here's the thing that I think of, and I hate to kind of touch on this one again. The one quote-unquote good thing that came out of that West Matthews injury was C.J. McCollum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I look at this a lot of the same situations. Clearly, C.J. more experienced. He's in his third year, played four years of college, and really the only thing that was keeping him off the floor was some injured feet and Wes being in front of him. I mean, Wes was a guy who ate up. 35 minutes a night. That's difficult to, to, to get time on that team. Um, but I think kind of, I, I get what you're saying. And I, I've asked this question a couple times too, is that should Zach be the beneficiary of what were kind of the promises made to cancer, you know, to, to come on this team? I mean, we've all heard that basically he was guaranteed the, the bench minutes. Now, what do those conversations look like with his agent now? Because because as an executive, there's what you say privately and as much as you say publicly. And I, I almost wonder if they're planning forward. They're they're looking ahead, right? And so if that's the case, it would make sense to give Zach the run here. But there's the other side of this in that Terry Stotts, right? Well, he's, I don't think he's you still can, coaching. <laughs> I don't think you can do that this year, um, especially, you know, there's been at least rumblings about Lillard and he's coming up on the end of his contract before long. Maybe he wants to go somewhere. I think you have to always compete when you're in this moment. You're, yep. There's six games left in the season or five or whatever is, is left for everybody. And then a playoff run. I just think you you stick to the game plan and try to win. Um, but next year is really the year that I think you look at and 
and you just reevaluate and say, okay, we need if we're going to be successful in any capacity, both short and long term, it's not going to be with Enes Cantor. We know what Cantor is. He's you don't win a championship with with Enes Cantor as your starting um, center. Same goes for Myers Leonard. You know what he is. Zach Collins is the one guy who still has a wide range of possibilities for him as a player. And I like Zach Collins by the way. I'm actually pretty high on him. Um, so I think he's a guy that could have a steep growth curve um, in this third season for him. I'm curious about just kind of center play in general as it um, as it has evolved over the last few years. And with the Nuggets, you have one of the really unique centers playing in the league right now. So I would love to just kind of pick your brain about what are some of the different, I guess, mm, types of centers out there in the league right now? And which one, which type would fit the best, do you think, you know, with Portland, say next season after, you know, if Kent Cantor doesn't resign. I think Nurkic provides a really good blueprint for your second question. It, it, one of the things that was nice was Nurkic was young enough and skilled enough and, and had a diverse enough skill set that he could kind of be molded into the player that Portland needed. And I think that's what has happened to him over the last two and a half seasons. He really became the guy that they needed and he had the skill set to sort of grow the certain parts of his game. So the size, the physicality, the strength, the passing, I think passing is probably the single most underrated um, part of being a center in today's NBA, because if you can kind of stand at the free throw line or above the key and throw passes from there, your offense just becomes a lot more dynamic and a lot more versatile. But what to, but to answer your first question, which I think is the more interesting, you know, sort of big picture look at this is, the point guard position right now, it's widely accepted that you can be a lot of different things as a point guard. Kemba Walker is not Chris Paul. He's not Steph Curry. There's so many different ways to be effective as a point guard in today's NBA. Um, I think it's less accepted uh, for that as a center, but I think it's equally as true. And that's what's so interesting about the league right now is you have a Nikola Jokic who is, is, in my opinion, one of the best offensive players in the NBA, like t- taken as a whole, one of the most interesting and um, impactful offensive players in the league. And he's completely different than Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns. These guys are all, no, Yusuf Nurkic, they're all so impactful and so good, but so different. And that's what I think makes, that's part of what I think makes the league so interesting. I think there's more similarities right now amongst the shooting guard, small forward, and power forward positions than there are amongst the point guard and center positions. And it's really, really cool. That's super interesting uh, way to think about it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's – they're really – so kind of like there really isn't a prototypical center anymore. Right. They're um, – you know, and a lot of people think there is. A lot of people think the prototypical center is the guy that just like Rudy Gobert. You block shots, and all those other things don't matter. And I just strongly push back from that idea. I, I think that there's a lot of different ways to win. It's maybe a bit more unconventional to build around some of these other types, these other forms, but it's it's equally as possible. And I think people are starting to learn that. So, Dan, what do you think the Blazers do in the meantime? Do they have to, you know, put CJ, um, consider, um, you know, CJ losing him in the long term in order to have somebody to replace Yusuf Nurkic in the short term? That doesn't seem like the way to go. I'm sitting here talking and I've got my mic all kinds of jacked up. Awesome. (laughs) Maybe having a coughing fit. (laughs) Yeah. 
that's, that's awesome. I, I, I think I guess I double tapped the old mute there. Well, I was just say I could zig when I, when everybody else is zagging and say, yeah, sure. Now's the time you take trade CJ. You make the move now, blah blah, blah and and then fight against that. that but realistically, like worth I, the fight. <laughs> yeah, but realistically, like here's what's crazy. I, I think there's two schools of thought that are gonna that are gonna come out of this. One is that. Hold on to everything that you can hold on to. Keep, maintain the status quo, which I know in this environment is like the most toxic thing possible. But there's just so damn many unknown variables right now. You just don't mm-hmm. know. Like with with an injury like this tied up in one of your top three guys and your other two guys coming up on deals in two years, you are in such a weird, weird space that – it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, that being said, I've never, and Adam knows this probably better than most people, I have never been a proponent of the Dame CJ backcourt. Mm. So if you can get somebody for CJ that justifies going forward, like if you picked up, and not to say it would work, but if, but if you, but if you, let me saying, if you sent, <laughs> if you sent CJ to um, Orlando for, Aaron Gordon and one of their rookie uh, tweener big forwards, right? Then maybe you're you're balancing out the cap sheet to be effective in the year. Spend some time developing some people, restructure the roster. You're you're trying to move around the expiring pieces so that things line up when they come back. But you're still a competitive team. And then you you add guys on the periphery with the additional money you've picked up with a little bit of cap space. By getting a plug-and-play center, you wait on the market and you hope you find a Dwayne Dedman. Is it the best situation? No, but you're not competing next year without Nurkic. So you you kick the can. But but while you kick that can, you keep building around it and molding it and tweaking it as necessary to stay as competitive as possible without mortgaging the future. Yeah, but if because you, you can't go all in now. If you tra- trade CJ, you're completely changing the shape of the can. <laughs> you know, you go from <laughs> you go from like a tuna fish can that's short and wide to like a tall and skinny other body <laughs> can. So well, well done metaphor, Mick. I, li- I like it. This is great. Good job, Tara. <laughs> well, well, thank Regardless, you. Regardless, I think those are those are the options that that you have. Either way, you're not making, you know, a, a ton of plans beyond a year outside of anybody you trade CJ McCollum for. Yeah, well, I think and the Blazers have been the most patient team in the league, so why the not? Best, one more best year? can kickers in the world. <laughs> <laughs> to, to your point, to your point though, Dan, it's interesting to think about. I, I think we all get caught up in this idea of you're either all in or all out, and there's no in between. Mm-hmm. And I think that's largely true for the NBA. I mean, we we know that you kind of have to fully commit to a direction and rebuild. But there is also there are teams that have been successful by kicking the can down the road, so to speak, but then jumping on the opportunity when it arises. And yes, and and so there could be that opportunity for Portland to say, you know what, nothing this summer really worked out in a way that we found to be great, but let's just stay opportunistic. And it's a slippery slope because you can wait too long and then, you know, you lose your, your, your players go in free agency or they lose their value or whatever. Um, but I don't, I, I, I would push back a little bit on this idea of like, Oh, blow it up now. Let's start the tank or let's start, you know, whatever new yeah, era I'm, comes. Next. I'm not to that level. I, and I'm team tank when it's necessary, but because again, those things are unknown. 
you you have to play the short game too. Yeah, if I, I would, and I'm an outsider, so this is an outsider's perspective. But um, I would guess that if you if CJ was traded, it would feel a lot more like Lillard was out the door. Um, even even if you got return back for CJ, say equal value, but just in a different position, you know, whatever. It, it just to me would feel a lot like okay, this team is over, and maybe Lillard now feels um, compelled and also just free to move. I I, I guess. Yeah, there's two worlds where that exists. One where where Damien has sanctioned that trade, or one when Damien has said, "I'm leaving." So do what you want. I think the the character of this team, and we've been talking, Dan, for years about what is the identity of this team. Um, but I think the character of this team right now with Damien is that he, as we all know, he sticks with his guys, and I think he is going to want to stick with his guys because now we've seen how successful it can be when you run the ball through Nurkic and you have Damon CJ at the same time. And then all these other pieces that have also, you know, all these other guys who've developed into um, significant role players. I just, I don't see them. I mean, I was already feeling like, like they weren't going to, you know, blow things up because of how well Nurkic had come along and how that had really changed and solidified like the offense as well as, you know, being a strong defense yeah. I just don't think that they're going to I just don't think that they're going to change things all that much. I could be completely wrong, but you know, <laughs> that's just kind of Just start betting of, things, Tara. Pardon you'll me. get So start betting things. You'll there you'll get an answer real quick. There's one better on this podcast <laughs> and that is you. And how have you done this year, Dan? Maybe I'm you still should off. tell Adam how your all of your bets have gone this year. <laughs> I've, only had, I've only had two that I've had to that I have to pay up, which Includes the one word I'll be getting my head shaved on TV this week. Oh, nice! Yeah. At least you're not getting a tattoo or anything like that. You know, hair no. hair can grow back. Dan's exactly. out there betting everything. It's just like Danny, stop, stop. <laughs> and he I'm still, claims I'm still he up had on so the much success in all the previous years that he was all naturally just gonna you know be due for one bad year. <laughs> Regression to the mean is tough. Very exactly. very exactly. Well, I want to turn and ask a couple questions about um, the Nuggets. We, um, you know, all of our thoughts are, I think I speak for everybody. I say our thoughts are with Nurkic and we just want him to get better and um, do everything that he can to come back strong. But um, we got to, the team moves on and so will we. Um, My question, Adam, to start with, how does, how do the Nuggets go from, Missing out on the playoffs to fighting for the number one seed in the West. That is an incredible turnaround. How does that happen? Well, I would start by saying that last year they were three games away from being the three seed last year. So I think that there's a little bit of this. Portland had 33 losses last year. Denver had 36. Denver misses the playoffs because of it. Um, And I think Denver was always a team that was a lot better than what their record showed. Three games worse from that three seed. And Paul Millsap played 16 healthy games last year. So I I just think they were a bit of a sleeping giant. Um, A little bit of, you know, how good they were last year was disguised. Um, this year, they've actually run into a lot of really bad injury luck as well, uh, bad luck. But um, I just think that uh, – and I'm obviously – Dan knows this. I am the leader of the Nikola Jokic hype train. I, that train left the station four and a half years ago. Adam has been driving this <laughs> since day one. But, <laughs> but I also just break along. He still thinks Lonzo is going to be very good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Dan had to go there. 
Well, he just needs a chance that, you know, and big baller brand is, is gone. Maybe that'll turn things around. No, um, no, wait but I, I, I mean, wait a minute. Are you, are you really a Lonzo ball? Um, he's a Lonzo supporter. truther. I'm a Lonzo truther. I really am. Uh, I, and I'm, <laughs> do you think that, Le- I, I'm sorry. I it's hard for me to say this do with you, a straight face anymore, but yeah. Do you think LeBron James has hindered his development? Do you, how do you think LeBron James is, uh, affected. Oh Just going after both Adams. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to understand that I'm, I'm a big LeBron fan, a big Lonzo fan, and the Lakers are far and away my least favorite organization in the world. Not very just in confusing sports. for you. It's a very, it's a, it's just a, I'm a mix of emotions kind of and and everything else. Big mess. Just a puddle. <laughs> But um, no, I don't think LeBron had anything to do with, you know, Lonzo struggles this year. I think <laughs> this is going to sound too much like a homer. I thought he was OK this year. I thought he was decent. He just was hurt, unfortunately, quite a bit. But um, OK, but well, no. back to Jokic. <laughs> <laughs> but back to Denver. I just I, I think that we have seen now four years worth of, of footage and, and data and everything else that when Jokic is on the court, the team is really, really good. Well, the longer he goes along, the more he's on the court, the more the team plays through him. And, and this year, more than any other year, it was truly his team from top to bottom. Everybody sort of yielded to him. And, and I, so I, I'm not, I'm not, I should say, I'm not too surprised with the way Denver has looked this year. What's he like as a leader? I mean, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're in Damian Lillard's world, you know, (laughs) you know, he's kind of an extraordinary, he's a very extraordinary person. Um, but you know, what's, what's Jokic like? He is, he's, I don't, I don't know that Jokic is a leader and that's one of the things that I think either will develop with him or he needs somebody, you know, alongside him to sort of take on that burden. The, The one thing I'll say is Jokic's play style incredibly smart and incredibly unselfish. And I mean that in the truest form. I mean, he, it's not, you know, a performative unselfishness. He really does like to play the game and attack on offense as a five man unit, not as like a, you know, two man game or get me the ball clear out. This is what I do or whatever. He really, he really, I think is infectious in the style that he plays and getting everybody to play that style. So on the court, there's a certain sort of lead by example, contagious style of play leadership that he has, but he's not, he's not a leader. He's not, I don't think he's a vocal guy that's rallying the team, getting, always knows the right thing to say or do or, or, or anything like that. And I think that Denver it's it's probably one of their biggest bigger weaknesses tonight. We're recording this just an hour after Jokic was tossed two technicals in a row in the fourth quarter in a tied game with f- three or four minutes to go. Um, those are the types of things you would never. I don't think you'd ever see Damian Lillard pick up two tech, not one technical, but two technicals and get tossed out. And he kind of did that intentionally, like he wanted to be thrown from a game in which they were tied. Um, so it's just stuff like that. He has a lot of, I think, maturing to do. And, and, and I'm, I don't know if leadership is innate or if it's learned, um, but it's certainly not innate in him. So I don't I, I don't know if it's something he's capable of becoming over time. And Nikola Irving out here has uh, got some things to answer for. <laughs> so, so he's different than that, though, right? Because yeah. Kyrie's style of play, I think, fits his personality. Jokic is style of play is very much what you would want from your best player. It's just that he's not, he's not the leader, the locker room leader type. So on the court, who's the, per- is he the person that they turn to when they absolutely need to score? And maybe it's not him actually doing the scoring, but he'll get somebody else a bucket. Is that how it works? 
No doubt about it. And he's delivered. I think he has four game winners this year. He has six buckets in the final minute to go ahead when the game was tied or when Denver was down. Um, so he's actually been a very, I would say, clutch player. I think he's shooting 50, 40, 80 splits in, in the clutch this year on like 200 something minutes. So he's really been impressive in those minutes. And he is the guy that they go to. Um, but again, th- how he plays is it's almost it's weird to say this of a of a player his age, but his game is very mature. It's it's as mature as the, the, the top players. But you you when you ask about leadership to me. That's a lot of the other stuff, the intangible stuff, and and that's where he just has a long way to go. How old is he? Twenty four. Okay. So my then who is the person for the the locker room who you know when they need to all gather together and get it together and get inspired? Who is the person for uh, Denver? So it's really interesting. Paul Millsap is that guy, but Paul Millsap is that guy by default. He's, I mean, everybody respects him because he works so hard. He's humble. He's nice. He's smart. All all of those things. But the thing with Paul is his voice carries weight because he never talks. And so when he does, it's, it's Mm -hmm. big, Mm -hmm. but I think, and I think that's really, really important. There's, there's teams that have that guy, but again, Damian Lillard, I, I assume is that guy that always has, always knows what button to push. Not, not he knows when at the moment is big and that's time to st- step up. So um, Denver doesn't really have that guy. It's funny. Early in the year, that guy was Isaiah Thomas, believe it or not. Oh. A lot of the players were talking about Isaiah. He's not playing, but he's in everybody's ear, challenging guys, knowing what buttons to push to get guys to go all out in practice and this or that. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Richard Jefferson was on the team last year. And his number one comment about this team was that the Nuggets are the most boring team he's ever played on because <laughs> nobody nobody talks, nobody jokes, nobody plays music, nobody does anything. It's just a bunch of quiet, I mean, I don't want to say dorky guys, but quiet, just vanilla guys. You know, there's, there's not I mean, a lot of, like, personality there. You do have basically a team full of Canadians. <laughs> exactly. Well, yes. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? Trey Lyles is, is is very much like a stereo, I think, stereotypical Canadian. He loves hockey. He's super quiet, super nice, super polite. And yeah, um, so I think you're right about that. <laughs> That's funny. So, well, with Isaiah Thomas, is it just that because Isaiah Thomas is not playing? I mean, I guess he wasn't playing anyway. Um, right. I mean, so... They just don't have that person so much. They just interesting. That is really interesting, Dan. I've like monopolized all my questions. All the Adam for no, no, I have questions for no. Well, let me let me add on to that one thing. What's really interesting is I would say Malone is that guy, and and I don't think long term this is a sustainable thing. I think somebody is either going to have to be added or emerged. And remember, the Jamal Murray's twenty two years old or twenty three years old. Um, Gary Harris, 24, all these guys are really young. So they're still kind of growing in to, to whatever they are going to be. But right now, one of the things that I think actually works in their favor at the moment is that they don't have that guy. And Malone is very much that guy. So right now it works almost like a college team where everybody's looking to coach. But I do think at some point, this is the NBA. It's a player's league. At some point that, that dynamic probably flips. Yeah. Because at no point in history, have I seen a team have issues with a guy who's not playing being the <laughs> well, the voice of leadership and reason. No yeah. point in time has that ever happened, especially in Portland. <laughs> uh. Okay, so when you when you line up 
the Denver Nuggets and you look at how they play and then you look at the Portland Trailblazers and how how they play, in what ways do you find their style of play is similar or do you find that they are similar? A little bit. Um, you know, I think Damian Lillard and, and Jamal Murray are probably more similar than, than people realize. Lillard, obviously, the far superior player, but Jamal Murray, a pure scorer, um, comes off screens well. There's a lot of off-ball movement with both teams, um, a lot of, like, flare action. And then Nurkic and Jokic, different players in a lot of aspects, but the ability to pass the ball – Nurkic is an underrated passer. Not Maybe not underrated in Portland where yeah, everybody gets anymore, to see not it. Here. <laughs> we love yeah, not, not Not in Portland, but certainly I think nationally people know of him as a defensive player and a big, strong guy. But, yeah, he has some nice um, passing from the elbow, stationary passing. So I think in, the, in those ways – um, they're probably similar. Um, and then, you know, I think my perspective, and you guys could correct me if I'm wrong, I think that Portland is a pretty cohesive unit. And a lot of that, I think, is a credit to Damian Lillard. Every Will Barton raves about Damian Lillard, best leader he's ever been around, all those things. So I you get the you get a lot of reports about Lillard, both nationally and and from guys on the team. But Denver, super close-knit. We just talked about them lacking a leader, but they are an incredibly close-knit team they they do feel like a college team in a lot of ways and that these guys all seem to like respect each other in a way that's i think very uncommon in the nba i mean in portland you you definitely have on every team you have the clicks within the locker room but you want to talk about a team that's boring that's that's what portland is when you covering this from a media perspective Evan like, turner would beg to differ evan's eccentric <laughs> he's not he's not wild he's not throwing soup He's, he's not, he's not throwing soup. Dan, Dan is upset there's not more soup throwers in Portland. <laughs> just in the on. NBA in general. Come on, oh. Mo Harkless. What are you, where's your soup tossing at? Seriously, charge <laughs> charge a candle to somebody's room, something, you know? <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it, it is nice, generally, because – you don't have to like you don't have to wonder what's going on. You don't have to worry about issues. You don't have to worry about what this person thinks of this person or what this person's camp is saying about this person's camp. You know, there's, there's none of that stuff. And you're right. It does point to Damian Lillard. And that kind of leads me to where I was going to go with the, the bigger question here, which is, hey, you know, this whole playoffs thing, it's, it's awesome for you guys. Right. But what are you going to do when you get there? For Denver? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I find that really funny. How many people have this take? Um, you know, oh, Den- they haven't been there, so I get it. I think it's all fair to say the possibilities for Denver are all over the board. But uh, I, I'm just a little less concerned, I think, than most people. They they they're gonna have home court in that first round. I think that's all but locked up for them. There's a really good chance they'll still be the two seed. Although after today's loss, that those odds go down from probably 85 percent to 75 or 70 percent. Um, so I think they'll have home court for the first round. And you look at it, I just think they're better than Oklahoma City. I think they're better than the Clippers. <laughs> the Spurs are the interesting one because Greg Popovich is the greatest coach of all time. And Michael Malone's never been there. So so that one, I think, becomes a little bit more of a 50-50 thing. Uh, Utah looks like they'll be the five seed. So that, that, that one's out. So the three at the bottom, Spurs maybe 50-50. The other two, I, I don't know why it would be different from the regular season where Denver dominated both of those teams. Is there a matchup outside of the Warriors that scares you? Oh, the Houston Rockets actually scare me more than the Warriors. I think Denver has a better chance of beating the Warriors. I would give Denver a 1% chance of beating the Warriors. I would give them less than 0% chance to beat the Rockets. <laughs> Why is that? 
Well, the Rockets, first of all, Denver's only beaten the Rockets one time in the last, I think, three years. And that was when Clint Capella was out. Um, but the, the one thing Denver struggles with more than anything else is a team that can shoot the ball, that can spread you, you know, five out. Um, and then can run spread pick and roll. And they have the best team maybe ever in the history of the game at, at running spread pick and roll. So they repeatedly just put Jokic in the pick and roll, force him to guard James Harden on the perimeter. And <laughs> nobody guards James Harden on the perimeter in the entire NBA. But Jokic especially does not guard James <laughs> Harden on the perimeter. So, yeah, Danny, how was that home court advantage for the Blazers last year? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you're I mean, pretty like, confident I, about that, Adam. I was honestly surprised that Adam went that way. I'll be 100% honest here in that. I, here's the thing. I, especially now with Nurkic out, I strongly veer towards Denver being a bit more successful. Uh, what Adam's talking about was spreading them out. Portland can do – Portland, I think, Portland, Utah, and Houston are the three most likely teams, I think, when all are healthy, to upset Golden State. And they all have one thing in common. They can pick and roll with size at anybody. Doesn't doesn't matter who it is. And each team does it a little bit differently. Houston, obviously, with the spread pick and roll. Dame with the right. one five with, with you know your traditional sets. Um, and then um, they do run quite a bit in Utah, but it's more of the lob set, getting downhill, drawing free throws, throwback, uh, elbow pick and roll that we see with with Gobert, Mitchell, and and Rubio. Um, but when you look at, at Denver, if, if you're game planning for and against Denver, what are the, the, the three opportunities that you see for Denver throughout the playoffs? To what, like which teams would, would be best for them to play or think you're saying? No, no. Like if you're, if you're looking at them game plan wise, you know, oh, they're going to try to take away. Yeah. Who, who are you looking for? I mean, Jokic is going to be the guy that everybody's eyes are on. But is sure. it Murray? Is it Harris? Are you leaning on the the veteran leadership of Millsap and his playoff experience? I think number one, Denver's going to just kind of have to shoot the ball. They're in a really weird slump right now. I think they're shooting twenty two percent over their last five games from behind the three point line tonight. Um, I think they were like four for thirty or something. So they're in a really weird and untimely slump. Um, but assuming that they can start, they have so many shooters on their roster. I mean. Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, uh, Malik Beasley, Monte Morris, Will Barton, Wancho Hernan Gomez, even Jokic. There's so many guys on there that you expect to shoot 37% or higher who for the most of the year have shot that. But for whatever reason, over since the All-Star break, just have not. But so if Denver makes their shots, I, again, I think they beat Oklahoma City. I think they beat the Clippers. And I think they probably are slight favorites against the Spurs. So shooting would be number one. Um, obviously, Jokic and just just winning his matchup. But I have a lot of confidence that he will, um, he, that he will be able to do that. And then I would say the last one for me is Jamal Murray. He is, uh, I think his reputation is probably beyond what his actual production is at this point. He's he's a third year player and he has moments where he scores 48 points and is the best player on the court and is unguardable even by the league's best point guard defenders. But those are moments. Those aren't that's not who he is. He, he that the, that guy pops up at once out of every 10 games. You know, he's solid maybe four out of every 10 games. And then the other five out of 10, he's looks like a third year player. And I don't think people realize that. I think people think of him and, you know, you would maybe match him up and be like Lillard versus Murray. Oh, well, Murray could outplay. No, he's nowhere near Damian Lillard. You know, that, that's that, that's not even a thing that can happen So at this stage of his career. So um, Murray being good or better 
throughout a series, I, I, I think is a big thing. And, and really, I should put it this way. Murray not being terrible in any game or in more than one game in a series, I think will be key for Denver. Nice. Well, do you have any final words of wisdom to, um, to leave us with as, you know, as a team who's just, I mean, we're, we're fans who are just sort of reeling, um, from the change in our lineup and, um, you know, you guys, y'all were without Paul Millsap for a good chunk of the year. Maybe you've experienced something else like got, you got any things you can leave us with <laughs> to, <laughs> to help us think about the future in a way that maybe isn't quite as depressing as it has been all week. <laughs> well, it actually reminds me a bit the Denver in 2013, won 57 games, which sadly enough is the most in Nuggets history in their 52 year history um was the most they ever got and Danilo Gallinari got hurt um Torres blew out his knee with like five games left in the season so it was kind of a similar situation where you lose such a key place going into it so I guess I can say from experience I do know what it's like to lose a key piece at this point of the season it's the most I, I do think it's the most depressing thing but all I can say is I feel for you. I got nothing else. I got nothing else other than my my truest and deepest uh, sympathies because it's a, it's a really 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 bad beat you guys got. It's okay. We'll we'll make a bet on one of these upcoming Portland Denver games that I'll probably lose in some <laughs> yeah. terrible fashion. What if I told you about betting? You are done betting this season. <laughs> do not. Adam if he tries to make bet. a bet with there's, you. I want you to contact me. There's a reason. There's a hotline. It's terrible. <laughs> Let's not joke about Love that. Love it. Well, uh, and again, like we, like I said earlier, all our our thoughts are with Nurkic because really, um, you know, we just want him as a man to come back and you know fit right in. You know, maybe not right away, but eventually to where the team was. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the um, you know the front office handles the you know the fact that he's going to be out for a while. But first, we got to get through the playoffs, and who knows? The playoffs change, the se- the seedings change so rapidly, and apparently all the teams on the bottom are losing these days. I don't know where anyone <laughs> is going to end up. So it's possible we may even see you in the um, – in you know one of the rounds of the playoffs this year, who knows? But- I would root. I would root for that just so because I would get to get to see you guys in Portland. So that would be a win for me. Well, you should be careful what you wish for because you can see me <laughs> on Friday because I'm actually going to be in Denver for the game. Woot woot! All right. <laughs> so I don't know if you attend all the games, but I will be there with a group of my friends. We are going for the weekend, and it should be very fun. Um, awesome. I'll be in the control room in Portland. Yes. Poor Danny. He's left behind. He wasn't asked to go on the all girls trip to Denver. (laughs) (laughs) Not this time, Danny. (laughs) Maybe next time. Never get to go. Adam, do you want to tell folks how they can find your work and what they might expect to find? Um, Denver Stiffs. I'm proud of the group we have over there. I think Blazer's Edge, Denver Stiffs, two two of my favorite blogs in the SB Nation network. So all of our stuff is over there. Great. All right. Well, Dan, you want to uh, tell us where – actually, I'll tell where people can find me and then I'll cook it over there to you. you can, people can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter. You can also listen to the Hoops and Talks podcast, which also comes out in the Blazer's Edge feed, comes out every Thursday. And you can follow the Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks. And you can read my weekly column, Mom's Favorite, that comes out every Sunday. And I think that's probably about does it for me. Dan, go ahead and take us out of here. 
All right, folks. Well, <coughs> excuse me. You can find me on Blazers Outsiders pre and post game show every game night and every playoff night. We got some stuff coming up for the playoffs. Hoping to lock that in. Tell you guys what we got going on. Hope you guys can join us. Uh, should have that by next week. You can find me or all for all of your social media needs: Twitter, IG. I don't know what else are the kids using nowadays. I don't care. Uh, at Dmarang, <laughs> at D M A R A N G for Tara, for Adam, for everybody. Thank you for joining us. As always, you have questions, comments, concerns, shoot us DMs, Blazers Edge on Twitter, Tara, myself, send your Blazers Edge complaints to Adam. And uh, thanks for joining. <laughs> Talk to you guys soon. Bye. <laughs>